Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Streetwise Theology Out of the Ivory Tower and Back into the Hands of the Invisible Church Welcome to Streetwise Theology, my friends. My name is Luke Saint. With me, I have someone who will be his first appearance on this podcast, but it certainly won't be his last, uh, Mr. Seth Brown, who uh, has had a history with Reconstructionism, um, has uh, been a pastor of a small church down in Lancaster County, um, also is an elder at my dad's church, the Independence Reform uh, Bible Church in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Uh, Seth, why don't you go ahead and, and introduce yourself and talk about uh, your journey to Reconstructionism. Yeah, hey, I really appreciate um, being here and the opportunity to just share what, uh, what the Lord has been doing in my life uh, over the past few years. So I actually grew up in Lancaster County and uh, grew up in a, you know, a typical Pennsylvania Christian family, you know, mm-hmm. pretty conservative, Republican-minded. Um, uh, we did move around a few different churches, um, spent some time in the Mennonite vein for a while, and then uh, as we grew out of that, moved into uh, the evangelical circles and, and the, uh, you know, evangelical free churches. And... Um, and then from there, kind of moved to a non-denominational, which is you know kind of become its own denomination. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's it's been it's been a little bit of a journey as far as that goes. Um, in most of the churches I was in, uh, I cannot say that they didn't clearly present the gospel because I believe there were a lot of uh, true believers in these churches. But uh, at least on the on the children's level, um, I think they were really plagued by the. Um, by the false notion that you know kids can't really understand theology, and so we give them something that's watered down, because we believe that'll that'll be bite sized for them, and they can handle that, and then um, you know then they'll be able to kind of grow later on. The, and the problem with that is that um, as a child, especially when you're developing in those teenage years, you take what you know at that time, and then you take your own experiences, and you kind of blend them together, and then you kind of call that um, truth and religion, and so. If you don't have a system which is constantly challenging your ideas and constantly giving you a standard, an external standard by which you're judging uh, everything that you're doing and thinking, mm-hmm. especially at that stage in your life, um, you're going to come out in in some odd places. Um, so I, I certainly was a, a uh, proponent to the easy believism. Um, I you know I could remember praying a prayer, and uh, and you know I was asked later, "Well, were you sincere?" Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, right, right. I, you know, I didn't really understand the gospel from a hole in the ground at that point, but I just knew that it was an emotional thing, and I did it. And uh, and then somebody, you know, said, "Well, you're born again, and uh, and so you never have to worry about um, not being saved because you know uh, this has happened." And so with that, uh, I began to kind of just dive into life. And um, interesting because I always had an interest uh, in, especially uh, prophetic things as a young child. You know, I would read the book of Daniel, and I didn't really understand any of it, but I just knew it It, it lit my imagination on fire, right? right? In all these beasts, and you're like, oh, my word, what is yeah. this? And <laughs> you get to the book of Revelation, and you're like, man, this sounds like it would be a great movie, right? And, right. and um, you know, so I always had some interest uh, in that. Historically speaking, that has not been true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. And uh, and so from there, I really kind of began to, um, to grow an interest in that. What was interesting is my... Um, my interest in eschatology kind of led me into a very interesting deception, and that was that since I was studying prophetic things so much, um, well, I was reading the Bible, 
and I wouldn't read the Bible if I wasn't saved. Right. So I never really had to question my salvation because, you know, look at how dedicated I was to studying prophetic ideas right. and concepts and texts. And so um, I had really kind of fooled myself into believing that I, I was so secure in my salvation because, again, I would spend so much time trying to unwrap the mystery of Revelation and Daniel. And um, all the while, uh, that led me to never see the uh, glaring hatred I had for God's law word and... and um, how I, quite frankly, um, would almost look for opportunities to break it. Hmm. Uh, and so um, it was interesting because it wasn't until uh, after I was married and um, about a year into my marriage that um, the, the real fruit of, of my hatred and wickedness uh, began to come out. And, um, and for the first time in my life, I sat down by the grace of God, and started reading through the scriptures and realized I was completely lost. Hmm. I never understood the gospel. Hmm. And uh, it was a mixing of, of the book of Romans and uh, Matthew chapter 7 that just destroyed me. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, I did repent and believe, understood what that meant. And and then I just kind of picked up where I left off, a fervor for studying the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And um, again, specifically, uh, eschatological matters. Mm-hmm. And I had... I had really taken the system that I was given as a young person, which was dispensationalism, and I really put that through the uh, through the press and I found some holes in it. Uh, and so I was like, man, this isn't going to work. And so that led me to want a desire to be consistent. And so I became a hyper-dispensationalist hmm. because I actually had found that, you know, there's not really a way to be truly consistent with the Bible as it's written and the, and the system of dispensationalism, uh, unless you actually take on tenets like hyper-dispensationalism, things like two means of salvation, uh, a gospel to the Jews and a gospel to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Um, the th- Things like um, most of the uh, Bible is irrelevant for the current-day believer. It's really only the church epistles that matter. Mm-hmm. Things like that. And so um, that's kind of where I went, and I went wholesale into that and, uh, and would fervently defend... Uh, what I believed was true dispensationalism against uh, any and all comers, uh, especially those within dispensational circles that I knew and would continue to point out to them their own inconsistencies. Uh, what was interesting is there were always a few holes that I could not figure out, even within the hyper system. And um, sounds like something out of Star Wars, yeah, right? The you know? system. <laughs> and so, um, and it was pretty spacey when you look back on yeah, it. But I, yeah. you know, at, at the time, it was like, man, I, you know, there's just a couple of these areas. But I've got so much other material to work with. I'm sure the answer's buried somewhere in like Zechariah yes. or you know one of these books that we just haven't Haggai. finished. Right? We just haven't finished mining it out yet. And when we do, we'll have the whole system, or we'll already be raptured. It doesn't really matter. Right. So um, it was interesting. I met uh, I met your father Joel Saint uh, through a mutual friend, and um, and I was so intrigued. Because he was the first living post-millennialist I'd ever met. Right. Right. All the other ones I heard about were dead. So it was like, wow, there's and there's still some of you guys around. This is really intriguing. Right, like, yeah. You know, and so it was kind of like, well, so I began engaging him in conversations. And, you know, he, he was a little aggressive with some of his questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was always ready for a fight. Right. And so uh, it led to a, a good solid year of theological sparring. And, um, you know, one of the things that... I appreciated so much was that um, no matter how much I came at him with uh, charts and dispensational systems and, you know, well, Schofield says this and, you know, this guy says that and this guy said over and over again, uh, the response I'd get from him as he would look me square in the eyes to say, you know, 
but the Bible says this here. How do you answer that? Mm-hmm. And um, and I was impressed by the fact that I'd never met anybody who continually challenged me with with the scriptures, mm-hmm. especially because I didn't believe that those scriptures really were that relevant for us anymore. Right? right? Yes. We're, we're in the church dispensation; it doesn't really matter what yes. the Old Testament says. Yes. It's just a group of stories for us to use as a moral compass right. to try and do some good things. Yes. Right? right? And and I I want to say here real quick when you spend time around these people who find application to scriptures that you just never knew that there was application in there. You know, there's a there's a, a mountain of gold inside the scriptures, and it's just waiting to be dug out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hanging around guys like Martin Celebrity and, and Bo Marinov and, and guys like that, when I listen to them talk, and then they bring out this verse, and they show me the context, the proper way to use it, I was like, wow, I never thought of that verse mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. And then, you, and, and then you just you're just like, wow, you know, the more you listen to that stuff, the more you love, you know, the Word of God. Yeah. Well, and, and so what was, you know, what was amazing is is those very truths were beginning to dawn on me. Like you're saying, I was making those discoveries myself um, because I kept I kept actually diving back into the Word of God then, you know, because my feeling was, well, if this is what Joel's going to use, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be a little more fluent uh, on the Old Testament text than what I currently am. And, right. And it began to blow me away that I, I began to see different themes um, one that I could not escape. Um, of course, I had to deal with the issue of um, Israel. And um, and when I began to read the text for what it says without the dispensational system in mind, I began seeing something different than what I'd always believed. Because here's the thing is, you know, the reality is, um, I, I just want to make sure that I'm clear, um, just in case there are any dispensational-minded people listening, look, that system does make sense when you read the Bible with that system in mind. Mm -hmm. The issue is that you don't have to. Mm -hmm. You choose to read the Bible that way, but that is not how you have to read the Bible. Mm -hmm. And the issue is that when you actually go back and just simply read the text, let it speak what it speaks, it will begin to challenge the fundamental assumptions that you have to start with uh, for dispensationalism. So um, the first thing, of course, was Israel and, and dealing with that. But then, you know, for me personally, and I think this is different for a lot of people, but for me personally, the next big thing that I couldn't get over was culture. Over and over again, I kept seeing how God was not just simply dealing with individuals. He was dealing with nations and people groups, what we're going to call cultures in today's society. Mm -hmm. And I was really challenged by this. I had never thought of God in terms of working with nations and cultures. God always judged nations, right? That's what he does with nations. He just simply judges them. Right. Um, you know, he judges people groups. He wipes out, you know, the Amalekites, and he takes out, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what God does with nations. He, You know, he He brings Israel out of Egypt and then, and then you know, drowns all their soldiers. That's what God does with right. nations, right? right. Yeah. He, he doesn't really, other than that, he doesn't really, he just works with individuals. Right. Um, but now I was dealing with a system in which he's, He's actually not only working with peoples and cultures, but as I re- read the Psalms, I began to realize these are not simply poetic verses. These are prophecy. Right. These are actual biblical prophecies, mm-hmm. and they have so much to do with Christ, his anointing, his kingship, yes. and his rule over the nations and cultures. Right. And that began to really 
transform the way I understood Scripture mm-hmm. um, and began to, to set me, even though I could not have said that I fully embraced things like post-millennialism at the time, I was so clear from Scripture that, that we needed to, to start a church plant in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Uh, and with the blessing of uh, the other leaders at IRBC, we, we did so for a time. And um, it was interesting because uh, to this day, uh, Joel saying your dad still says um, that, that over that stretch of, of a little over a year where I was preaching there, um, I actually became more, he argues, more post-millennial yeah, than, than he is. is. <laughs> yeah. And when I go back and listen, I actually preached the book of Hebrews. I thought, well, this is great. I mean, how safe is Hebrews, right? Yeah, right I mean, it's right. all about Jesus. Right. You yeah. can't get any safer than that, yeah, right, right? Right. And so we'll just preach through the book of Hebrews. This will be fantastic. Right. And by the time I came out, um, I was so on fire with a zeal for the kingship of Jesus Christ right. and his rule over all the nations yes. that he will bring all rule yes. under his authority, yes. uh, and that the law word of God must be obeyed to the ends of the earth, mm-hmm. that there was, I mean, there was no going back at that point. Right, I was right. I was wholesale. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at that point, by the time I returned back to IRBC, um, you know, I, it was an incredible transformation for now, me. Now, you talked um, about how you came to post-millennialism. How did you come to theonomy? So that was a little bit, uh, that was a little bit longer for me because I, I could see post-millennialism from an eschatological standpoint, I could understand that system right. and, and had begun to embrace that. Um, there were certain aspects of it that I was you know, still working through. Well, how much of the world is going to become Christianized? Um, at what point? Are we talking 60, 70, 80 percent, 85? What does yeah. that look like? You know, right, right. I was still working through some of those details. And, um, and so theonomy for me... You know, by definition, I understood that it's talking about the law word of God, and so I could get on board with that. And um, I certainly had some reservations at first about, well, man, are we saying one for one here with the law word of God and just implementing it in in society today? Like, um, I certainly was concerned. But, you know, the theonomy bubble kind of popped pretty quick for me when I just began reading, um, you know, some of the guys that, that... have have done great work on this. Of course, guys like Rush Dooney uh, and others. And once I started reading, uh, you know, Gary North and, and Rush Dooney and and uh, and some of those types of authors, those answers those answers were coming. Those questions were being answered. Uh, I was I was getting plausible and understandable, practical theology that I could implement. And God's law word was no longer becoming just this static thing over here, but rather it, it is a living right. and active word. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, between that, uh, you know, one-on-one meetings with Joel Saint, um, influence from Paul Michael Raymond yes. and some others, um, that one was pretty quick to follow. Mm-hmm. And and at that point, I mean, once you have those two, now it's just a matter of its reconstruction, baby. Yes. Right. Like just, you know, but but for me, what, what impressed me was um, how... And I think really what what fully helped me embrace it was that um, uh, John Bingaman had made a statement to me that uh, still to this day, I think one of the most impactful things as far as Reconstructionist theology goes for me. It's that we were talking about, you know, I was talking about rebuilding, rebuilding, rebuilding. Right. And John very gently, but in a very John Bingaman way said, no, don't, don't mistake me. We're not talking about repairing what's broken. Yes. We're talking about destroying this pathetic structure mm-hmm. and building 
what God's commanded us to build. Yes. And that blew my mind. Mm. Uh, it's a very simple thing when you stop and think about what he's saying. Yes. Um, but man, if you have not been introduced to that and you haven't grown up with that type of teaching mm-hmm. and coming out of a hyper dispensational system yes. like me, oh, yeah. that just, I had to dwell on that. I, I knew exactly what he was saying. It made perfect sense. Right. But to actually wrap my mind around it, uh, but once I did, it it, it catapulted me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was interesting because I had some people say to me, well, my word, you know, you are just going at it now with this post-mill reconstructionist doctrine. I mean, your sermons have just, you just, it's all the time right. out of you now. Right. You know, don't you think you should be a little sensitive? I mean, you were a hyper-dispensationalist, and now within a year, you are like chasing dispensationalists down mm-hmm. and, and being like, look, we got to talk about these things. Right. Um, and they're going, you know, <laughs> That's true. but I said this, I said, you know, here's the thing is, true. once you've realized what the truth is, yeah. how long are you supposed to wait? Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. Yeah, what I mean is, you know, how long are you supposed to wait? You, you see this is, this is error right. in the Scriptures. I was believing this system, and it's false. It's it's error. And now what am I supposed to have this period where I just go, oh, you know, well, I don't want to offend anybody, and I, I don't want to, you know, seem to betray those who taught me, and so I'm not going to share this this truth that right. I've learned. Yeah. Um, no, I couldn't do that. Right. Um, because we are called to be salt and light. Yes. And that's not after a probation. Right? It's not. That's not after a probationary period. Yeah. It's not like, hey, welcome to the Christian faith, six months probation before you share the gospel with anybody. Right, right, yeah. Like, no, that's not how this works. Yeah. And so uh, for me, I had to drop, I had to drop one system in his, in his soon as possible begin sharing uh, what I believe really is the truth of the scriptures from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Yes. A succinct and complete yes. and total picture that is not ever at odds or needing to be broken up and divided by long periods of time, but is rather one continuous story of one singular issue, which is Jesus Christ is king right. of everything, yes. and he has a kingdom, and in that kingdom currently are rebels and usurpers yes. and those who have laid down their arms and taken the gracious pardon of that king. Yes. And that's it. Yeah. That's the story. I think one of the greatest observations that my dad has made was in the, uh, you know, a lot of people when we read, uh, Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand so I make your enemies your footstool. And what we what we usually read into that is that the footstool is destruction, you know, uh, until I destroy all the enemies or until they become like forced labor, you know, that this, this is like this, this footstool is not a good thing. You know, I don't want to be the footstool of the Lord because then I'm under subjection. He's got a yoke on me or something like that. You know, we get this picture cause he's resting his feet on us. But then in lamentations, uh, my dad pointed this out and this, this rocked my world too. When he said that, you know, they, uh, in lamentations, it calls Israel his footstool. Mm-hmm. And so that to me, and, uh, you know, to my dad, it redefined what until I make your enemies your footstool means. Mm-hmm. It means that these people are not going to be like these forced slaves. It's going to be the um, his actual servants, mm-hmm. his, his, his children. The footstool was meant to say that these are my people and they are my servants and they get the honor of being my footstool. They are my children. Mm-hmm. And before when I read that, I was like, okay, you know, Kind of like you know, so crack the whip and you're gonna be my footstool. Right. That's 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 what I that's what I used to think, and you know that was, uh, I think a, a very keen observation. 
made by my dad Absolutely. concerning that. Now, moving on to, so that's Seth's introduction. Um, I actually might split this one into two podcasts because, you know, we're already at 20 minutes. And for me, that's that's podcast worthy enough. But um, Seth uh, went, has a friend out in Cambodia who does mission work with the locals there. There's a very interesting story. Um, and uh, if you have not listened to it, I recommend that you listen um, to Bo Marinov's uh, Acts of the Root podcast on, on missions. I, I forget the exact name of it, but he he rightly defines a missionary as a revolutionary, not like the way we think of the French Revolution, which was kill everybody and everything. And if you're ignorant on that history, that's pretty much what happened. Uh, what he means by that is that a missionary is able to bring every, should be able to bring every area of life. He's able to address every area of life with scripture. This missionaries that we send out nowadays is I'm just here to save your souls. I'm just here to preach the gospel and transform a few people and maybe have short-term impact. And sometimes they have long-term impact, but they, you know, that's by the grace of the Lord and not necessarily by their efforts. Uh, when you guys, when you look at guys like David Livingston and William Carey and, you know, uh, these, these people, um, who went out there and they transformed not only the hearts of the people that they talked with, but the cultures, uh, the cultures that they encountered. Uh, if you guys know who Peter Hammond is, Peter Hammond is a South African missionary, and he he's told me twice on you know on two different occasions because I had to ask him this again. I couldn't believe it. I had to ask him again. I said, "What is the view towards David Livingston in Africa?" And he said. Kind of like everybody loves David Livingston. All the people, they just love him because there's this universal understanding. Kind of like, you know, David Livingston is kind of like their George Washington. You know, we all we all kind of like, even the communists in this nation kind of like George Washington. You don't really have anything bad to say about him. He's just there. There he is. He's positive. Nobody really says anything bad about him. You know, David Livingston is the same way in Africa. And they said even the communists in Africa which are more consistent than the communists here and have more, much more power and influence, they won't take down his statues because they're too afraid, because the people love him. And, and this is because David Livingston did not li- limit his ministry to, I'm just here to save the people. I'm just here to you know, preach the gospel, which to most people nowadays is just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, forget the rest of the, the Bible. These people like William Carey and uh, I think your name is Mary Slusser, uh, the Congo, I think, where she, these people were, were, were trying to transform the culture. And it was beyond just the hearts and the minds of the people. It extended to the entire society. The, God, God, the, the true gospel addresses the Bible. The full counsel of God addresses each area of society that you can shake a stick at. You know, it, it addresses and talks about it. And that's why I, you know, Bo Marinov makes that point that the missionary is a revolutionary. He is able to address, if you come to him a question about money, he's like, this is what the Bible says about money. You come to a question about banking, this is what the Bible says about banking. And believe me, the Bible talks about these things. Absolutely. You know, um, what does the Bible say about um, uh, you know restitution? Here's what the Bible has to say about restitution. What does the Bible have to say about drugs? Here's what the Bible has to say about drugs. You know, the, the Bible addresses these things. Yes. It has application in all areas of life, all of the arts, all of the sciences. The Bible speaks to these things, and these missionaries were addressing each and every one of these things because they're they had what is called a full orb gospel, the the gospel that affected every area of life. 
Like Seth, go ahead and tell your story about what you encountered in Cambodia. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, if I can, actually, just a little bit of background as well uh, to piggyback off some of the statements you've made. Um, so I've been to Cambodia three times now, and, uh, of course, my dear friend John, who I grew up with, he was actually very instrumental in me coming to know the true gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, honestly, uh, this this guy is... Uh, He's as close to me as as anyone uh, that I know. Yes. Uh, just love him dearly. And, you know, he's been in Cambodia for over 10 years. And um, it has been interesting because even he has seen some of what you're talking about, a number of missionaries who have been over there for a while who are retiring, yes. right? And then now they're coming back home. And, mm-hmm. and so their goal is, I'm going to go, I'm going to be on the mission for a while, and then I'm going to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was interesting because John's goal has always been, uh, we're going to go uh, we've been called to this very remote village in a very remote John part is your of, friend. John is my friend. Yeah, yes, okay. I apologize, uh, J- uh, John. And uh, so he has said, you know, we've been called to this very remote village in a ver- re- very remote part of Cambodia, and we're going to work there until the church is stable, and then we're going to see where God takes us next. Mm-hmm. Um, so his understanding is not one of, you know, we're just here and we'll run things, and then when we're ready to retire, then we'll leave. You know, um, actually, your relative... Um, uh, Steve Saint, who I've spent a lot of time with, actually was over in India with him, uh, working uh, at some things. It was really interesting to talk to him because um, one of the stories he told me was so impactful for how uh, he was encouraging us to view missions. Is uh, of course when he shared about um, being gone from the from the Ecuadorian people for a while, and that um, after many years they went back and the church was you know fallen down in dilapidated state. And of course, they they went and they said, "What what in the world? You know, aren't you guys meeting anymore? Don't you guys read the Bible?" And he said, "Well, yeah, you know, we still read our Bibles, and we you know we still believe in God, and but um, you know we don't we don't meet in the building or anything anymore." And, and he said, "Well, why not? What what what's what's wrong?" And they said, "Well, there were no missionaries here for them for us to ask them if we could fix their building." Um, oh and and it, and it dawned on him that they had not developed leadership. Yeah. They had not developed a sustainable church. Yes. What they had done was built a church that they were ruling over. Yeah, and that when they left, along with it, went any semblance of structure and any semblance of real activity. Yeah. And now it was just this personal thing that everybody kind of did on their own. Yeah. Praise God there were still faithful people doing that. Yes. And teaching their families to do that. Yes. But they realized in that moment. We've got to change the way we approach this. We must be building indigenous churches up. Um, how arrogant of us if we believe that they're not able to understand you know, theology in the way that we do. Because what we're saying in that moment is that it is only education that matters. And what we're denying in that moment is that it's the Spirit of God that teaches us the Scriptures. Yes. So if we say something as crazy as... Well, these, you know, indigenous people in other countries, they can't possibly run a church without us because there's no way they, they have all the training and schooling that we have. Right. Then what we have done is said that it is our knowledge and our understanding which gives us real authority and not the teaching of the Holy Spirit to understand yes. the Word of God. Yes, and that's Rome right there. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that just as some background, John that's that's kind of the, the, the context that John has gone into Cambodia with. And so he's been working in this village, a very remote place. Uh, up near the Vietnam border, uh, and uh, and uh, what's the atmosphere of Cambodia as far as you know uh, Christianity? Sure. So it is predominantly Buddhist. Although um, over the three trips that I've been there, we did some investigating on. Uh, I, I have an interest in Muslim apologetics, and um, so I stumbled across a, a couple of villages that were Muslim, and that intrigued me. And so on subsequent trips back. 
John was gracious to to do some jungle searching with me, and we would kind of travel around a little bit and map out uh, some areas where we were finding a, a large amount of Muslim influence. And Islam's actually growing very, very rapidly mm-hmm. in Cambodia. Okay. Uh, and so the, the predominant religion is still Buddhism, uh, still some sort of animism, spirit worship. Yes. Um, there's a very small... Uh, I, boy, I couldn't even give you a percentage. I'm not sure the total percentage um, of of true Christians in the country. Uh, I would say it's under 10 percent. It could be as high as eight. It could be as low as three or four yeah, percent. Right. Um, I, I don't know those uh, details off the top of my head. But uh, it's it's just been interesting because as he's working there, um, one of the things he's been very intentional about in the village that they live in, and that is a very important thing right there. They live in the village. Okay. Uh, most of the other missionaries who are working there live in houses um, that are a little bit more removed. Um, I, I'm sure there are some who are at least uh, living next to areas that they're working in that might be um, a little bit more of a city atmosphere. Right. This is truly a village setting. Okay. And they live in a wooden structure in the village. Right. Okay. Uh, their house doesn't look any different than anybody else's. Right. Um, you, you wouldn't know uh, that there's Americans living there. Uh, and so... Um, that's given them a lot of a lot of influence and credibility with the people okay. because they're living among them and they understand what their daily life is like. They right. they are seeing firsthand the struggles and the things um, that they live with. They're seeing firsthand how very real the spirit realm is to them mm-hmm. um, because you know uh, we sometimes have have really forgotten in the West um, you know what our heritage is, but. These people who still live in these types of settings in Southeast Asia, especially, um, everything from harvesting your rice to simply making your meal is a very spiritual thing. Hmm. Uh, And they're always under constant fear uh, of the spirits of ancestors uh, and just the spirits in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so as they're working there, what they've seen, and this is part of the reason that the culture uh, of Cambodia is so poor, is because, you know, if you're an animist or a Buddhist, Mm -hmm. what happens is... um, you know, you, you, you get your little plot of land and you start to, to plant your rice and you've got your, you know, maybe a few animals, maybe a couple chickens uh, and, a, and maybe a water buffalo if you can really scrape together some money, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, but you know, uh, then one of your kids gets sick. Mm-hmm. And so you start with offering some of your rice, but then they're still sick. And so you better slaughter a chicken right. and try to appease the spirits that way. And then, right. you know, you know maybe you, you start to weigh it out now do we do we offer up the water buffalo or do we give a little bit of cash that we have which mm-hmm. you know we, we have very little but you know maybe that's valuable enough and so right. what what you see is that anytime something goes wrong or they want something to go right we need a good harvest this year yeah. you know we need that they're always giving and giving and giving and so when you already have a very uh, a very poor economy to start with and yes. very few resources right and then you're in a system that doesn't really pay you back resources but continually draws it from you uh, it's why you find this perpetual generational poverty yeah okay and so it's in that context that they're speaking the gospel um, but but here's one really important thing and we've talked all around this so far in this podcast it's not simply that they're sharing the gospel Right? Every missionary shares the gospel. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem is that when we say that, what we mean is they're going in and they're sharing, Christ died for you and has offered a means for you to have salvation and forgiveness of sins. Yes. The issue with that is that that is not the complete gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. So the biblical gospel is exactly what Jesus called it. The first time it shows up in the New Testament, it's in this context, the gospel of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And so what's happening is you have these other missionaries, even in, over in Cambodia, that are out there preaching the gospel. 
But then you have this man who's over here with his family. They're preaching the gospel of a kingdom. Mm-hmm. right? They're not just there to see your soul saved. Right. They're there to actually see the people and the culture transformed into one that raises a banner to Christ and obeys his law. Work, yes. Yeah, right. right yeah. And so you, you at times are even seeing this butting of heads between other Western missionaries who are over there and they're, and they're upset because your gospel of the kingdom is, is making this way harder for us because, you know, our people don't understand why, uh, why your people don't all try to obey these rules and stay out of culture. Instead, right. you're encouraging them to transform culture. Yes, right. And it's creating confusion in our churches because we're just saying Jesus is here so you don't go to hell. Right, yeah. Right? And so, <laughs> you know, what's going on? Yeah. Um, and so one of the really interesting things that, have, that has come out of this now, I'll just give you some examples of how the culture, for instance, in this village has changed. And, and as I tell this story, understand that for those who even now struggle with the idea of theonomy, with reconstructionism, how's it actually going to work? These stories are a blueprint for exactly how this works. It starts by John and Kristen moving into a village, right? Mm-hmm. And they're working with a people called the Tampuan people group, okay? And so they start by living with them engaging them in their culture, sharing Christ. Mm -hmm. And they're sharing the Bible, right? And it starts with a couple people. And then it starts to grow into a few more people. And now it starts to grow into some families. And now you start seeing cultural bends here. One of them being, you start to have people coming who are going, well, I hear what you're saying. And that that book you're holding, that book you're reading from, I I want to read that book. Mm -hmm. The problem is they're illiterate. Right. Because you don't need to know how to read and write when you just plant rice yes. and you just take care of your crops and your and your field and your and your few animals. You don't need to know to read and write. Right. Right. And so they're going. We want to know how to read. We we need to learn how to read. Mm. And this is this is creating a situation now, and where John's going. Well, they're going to need to know how to read. They're also going to need to know how to write. Yes. Because if they're going to read, I I need to know how to write this language. Right. And so you're getting people who are beginning to learn how to read and write. They're becoming literate. Why? Yes. Because of the gospel. Yes. They, they want to know how to read the Bible for themselves. Mm-hmm. And to do that, they actually have to gain skill mm-hmm. and understanding and knowledge. Right. So it begins there. Uh, now it begins to grow within this village. Uh, grew to such a point where uh, some of the some of the local uh, headmen began to say, "Hey, you know, your, your fellowship's getting too big." You're getting too many people. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't like how many people are beginning to listen to this because you know we're afraid that quite frankly, uh, what if the spirits get angry? Right. You know that, that too many people are listening to this new this new God that you're talking about. Right. And so you know you, you better you better stop this or we're gonna we're gonna stop you. Right. You know. And they threaten uh, threaten some of the people with even death. You know. Wow. If you don't if you don't stop going, you're my family member. I can handle this. Right. I will tell you that if you don't stop. Going to these meetings, like we, we might do something to you. Right. Something bad might happen to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for one couple, uh, and I and I'm so grateful for God's faithfulness to them. Um, they lost a child shortly after coming to faith in Christ, mm-hmm. and of course, this was just propaganda, like oh, yeah. you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Exhibit because, A, look what happened. A, yeah. Your child. It, yeah. Imagine this. Imagine this. They're saying they're saying you killed your child yeah, because right. you turned from the spirit. Right. This is your fault. You yes. killed him. Right. You killed him. And wow. if you don't turn from this whole 
Christian thing, yeah. you're going to end up killing everybody in this village. Yeah, like it's going to be right, your fault. Right. That's the type of mindset that's going on yes, here. Right. You know, and and you know that the talk begins right. All these level-headed Buddhist people who just you know, hey, love and be happy, are sitting there going, you know, we might have to do something about these. We might have to lay hands on these people if you know what I mean. Because after all, wouldn't that be the right thing? Right. Yeah. Right. We're just going to do the right thing and love the rest of the village. Right. And we might, you know, and so you're beginning to see culture is already now being confronted, right? Mm, yes. Well, as time has gone on, they have begun to develop leaders within this church mm-hmm. uh, in the village here. And what's been amazing is they came to a point where they said, look, um, not only do we need a Bible in our own, what they call heart language. So there's the general language of the of the kingdom of Cambodia, which is uh, Khmer or Khmer. Mm-hmm. That's the general tongue that everybody can speak. But then within each of these people groups, you have your own language. Right, yeah, of course. Uh, and so these people obviously speak Tempuan. And um, and so they're saying, you know, look, we want to reach out. There's a few other Tempuan villages around. We need to go to our own people right. with this message, yeah. right? So we need a Bible in our language. And not just in our language, some of these things in the Bible here need changed. Right. Right? And here's what I mean by that. Is they're looking, going, look, we've got this Bible, and um, and it's a couple foreign missionaries who had who had uh, done this translation, I believe, about ten years ago, if I remember correctly. And um, the term that they have in there for 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 God, and specifically for um, the term being used for Jesus. That, yeah, and this is God, the story that I wanted you to tell. Yeah, this okay. Is, yeah, this is it. Is that uh, it's a term that means um, spirit of the air, spirit of the land, mm-hmm. and. Um, these Tampuan people are saying, look, this is a problem, because that's in the Bible as a term for God, but we used that same term when we were worshiping the spirits and idols in our temples, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Because it's just it's so generic. It's spirit of the air, spirit of the earth, you yeah. know, base is covered. Right. I mean, you right. know? Yeah. And so they're saying, here's the problem. When we walk into a village and say we are the people of the spirit of the air, spirit of the earth... The village responds to us as, yes, yeah, so are we. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right. us too. Cool. Yes. Yeah, we're good with your God then. We have a similar problem in America with the yeah. word Christian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so they're saying, these people, these uneducated, right? These people yes. who won't get it unless we're doing it for them right. are saying, they're coming to, to people like John and yeah. saying, we need a different word. Right. We can't use this. Right. People don't know who we are. Right. We want to be able to say, we serve the one true God. Right. There, there are no other spirits. We don't recognize any other yes, spirits. Right. It's one God. Praise it's one spirit. We need a word. Mm-hmm. This led to um, a calling together of a group then of missionaries and uh, local church leaders, not just in the Tampuan village, but also um, in, in, other, uh, in other Cambodian villages. And so um, they gathered together to discuss this. And what's amazing about this is when you stop and think about what's happening, right? In my mind's eye, at least, I can picture this. This is the sort of stuff that you're talking about and that I think about when you think of these old councils, right? Of people gathering together to discuss serious, yes. serious theological issues. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some debate today. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be some sleeves rolled up, yeah. you know, and it's going to get it's going to get intense. We're girding our loins, right? And I mean, it's 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 about to get real. Yeah. And so they're there in their meeting and they're discussing and debating about this word. And it was interesting because. Um, I was told that there was opposition by two people, um, foreign missionaries, really, who were arguing that, you know, we don't need to change the word. What does it really matter? Um, it's, you know, it's it, the translation's fine as it is. <sighs> and um, 
And from what I was able to gather from um, the conversation of, of John and, and, and those who were there was that, um, you know, it basically came across that at one point, some of the Tampuan leaders, um, and this is so exciting because it wasn't another American missionary. It wasn't a foreigner saying this. It was the very people themselves standing up and saying, look, we're not so much asking you to change this so much as we're saying, if you don't change it, we'll use another Bible. Right. Like, we will not be the people of the spirit of the air and the people of the spirit of the earth. Right. We are the people of the living God, mm-hmm. and we will have a word right. that distinguishes us among our own people right. so that they know that we are not putting forward another spirit. We're uh, putting forward Jesus Christ. Uh, listen, if you're some knuckleheaded idiot out there trying to make a Christian movie, would you please latch on to this story, research it, and make a sto- movie a, sto- a movie about this story, please, I'll and, put and, you... and not have everyone get saved at the end and, and, and not have one about another <laughs> stupid marriage please Ugh. I'll put you in touch with the people who were actually there okay uh, we'll yes. be able to yes to make this uh, an eyewitness account and so these this debate goes on uh, for the larger part of the day and in the end they take a vote on it and uh, there's only two votes against and I'll, I'll let you guess oh who those are and everyone else votes for a change right so here's the really amazing part right mm-hmm. is that not only do they vote to make a change but now they need a word. So what's the word going to be? Do we just make something up? Right, right. And and, and on one hand, there wouldn't have been anything wrong with that. Right, yeah. Um, Maybe a cognate of Christ just or like, something. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, do we do we take an American word and just kind of, you know, Cambodianize yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. What are we going to do here, right? <laughs> yeah, um, right? You know, and instead what happens is they settle on a word that is an ancient word for them that... The older people seem to know. The younger people really seemed, from what John was telling me, to not really be familiar with this word. Mm-hmm. But here's what the word means. I, I cannot say it in Tampuan. I won't even. I won't even desecrate it by right, attempting right, it. Right. But I'll tell you what it means. It means the the spirit from whom all life comes. Oh, wow. I don't know how you get any clearer than that. Right. Yeah. My question <laughs> is, how did you even have an ancient word like that in your culture? Right. Right. Where does that come from? That's right. a whole nother discussion. Where does that come from? Yeah. But here's what's amazing. Stop and think about what's being said here. The younger people don't understand that word. They don't really, they don't use that word. They don't know that word. The older people do. Well, which group is going to die first? Mm-hmm. The older people. Right. What's going to happen to that 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 word? It's going to disappear. Yeah, disappear. Right. A part of culture is about to disappear. Right. Until the gospel. Wow. Until the word of God. Right. Now this word. Here's what's so amazing. When you stop and think about this. Mm-hmm. Now this word, which was formerly really little known, is now going to have only one context. <laughs> only one context in the culture of the Tampuan people. Yes. Jesus Christ, right. God, God, the one true God. Yes. Right? Is that not transforming culture? Yes. How can we say that the gospel doesn't transform culture when here's a great example of the fact that this word would be lost right. if it wasn't for the gospel? Right. Not just that. Here's another amazing thing. The Tampuan people are a very musical people, mm-hmm. enjoy music, enjoy singing. But mostly what they sing, from what I'm told, I don't understand any of the songs, but what I'm told is that they sing the older songs of their ancestors, right? Mm-hmm. But now there's an injection of new music, mm-hmm. right? A part of their culture that's gone stagnant. Right. But, As happens with all cultures right? that disregard Christ and his word. Your music dies off eventually. But now you have this injection of 
Christian songs and mm-hmm. hymns, mm-hmm. psalms, right? Right? Spiritual songs right. being written, mm-hmm. being sung. Yeah. Right? People walking around singing these things. And right. so a part of their culture is being revitalized, yeah. renewed, and recaptured for the kingdom of Christ. Yes. This is true missions right here. Mm-hmm. Right? And see, yes. what's happening is you can already see that the exit strategies begun. Yeah. Right? Because now it's just a question of when, Lord. When will it be so, so far down the hill? When will momentum have carried this thing so far down the hill? There's no need for John Christian to even be there anymore. Right, yeah. You're right. going to move him on to some other place to that's serve right. him, that's right? right? Because that's what kingdom building is about. See, that's the difference right there. That's the difference in, in a missionary who simply brings the gospel and somebody who brings the gospel of the kingdom. Now, mm-hmm. right. I want to be clear because being the first time on your show, I'd, you know, I want the listeners at least to be familiar with I'm not saying that to believe the gospel that that the first missionary we we mentioned, uh, missionary A over here is bringing, uh, is not necessarily the real gospel. Right. All right. Because the true gospel is actually, I believe, a subset of the gospel of the kingdom. Right. So what is necessary for salvation is the true gospel right. of Jesus Christ. Yes. Right. But the issue is that without anything more than that, it will be nearly impossible to faithfully and obediently live out what God has called us to do yes. in time and in history. Without personal transformation, right? how can we expect societal transformation? And, and so, and it's not just simply that, okay, I'm regenerated and I have this new gospel, but now, as we see in James and so many other places, now that gospel is actually going to transform the way that I think, my whole worldview, and the way that I function in society, and now it's going to lead me to actually do things and change things and be about things in my culture and society that actually are going to be fundamentally opposed to the works of the flesh and the devil. Right. Okay. And so I, I just want to be clear on that. You know, the, the the gospel that missionary A brings is still able to save. The problem is you will see very little cultural impact. Mm-hmm. What you will simply see is a lot of professions of faith, and maybe even those be genuine. Right. But you will see very little, a lot of stagnation and very little generational growth. Mm-hmm. What you tend to see in that type of mission work is these trends of spikes of Christianity right. and a generation or two that dips. Yes. A spike in Christianity again when a new missionary comes, yeah. and then it dips again into, yes. into, into unbelief. Right. Uh, whereas Missionary B brings the gospel of the kingdom, you have... This spike in the in the growth of the gospel, but then you begin having this steady incline and steady and steady building of the kingdom, yes. and you see this this perpetual growth that goes on so long as that gospel of the kingdom is maintained. Mm-hmm. Just like any, just like this this gospel that missionary A is bringing, if either one is not continually preached and honed. Um, you will see a decline, right? You know, uh, yes. so I'm not saying that uh, oh, you just bring the gospel of the kingdom and yeah. boom, it's yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, flywheel right. set in motion and yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. downhill from there. Right. Um, but I also believe that the the kingdom work and a kingdom orientedness doesn't drive you and I to say, oh, I'm here so I can retire. Right. It drives us to say, I'm here to build the kingdom to such a degree that the the vision for the kingdom is given to others, and I can move on to keep building the kingdom somewhere else. Right. Right. And so that's what we're seeing there, and I think. Um, Again, it's amazing to me that the very issue, one of the very issues that that swung me into Reconstructionism was culture, right? That's what we see here, culture Mm -hmm. being changed. Yes. And, you know, um, it's interesting because when you look around and you see what America's doing 
in the way that they're defining culture and the way that the church in America is defining culture, mm-hmm. you see that we are fundamentally denying the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Because again, we're only looking at the gospel in terms of saving souls. I mean, you know, I, I had it here uh, from a from a definition that I that I read earlier. Uh, it says that a, that a culture is the customs, beliefs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or social group. Mm-hmm. So if that's culture, we have to understand that preaching to anything less than the gospel of the kingdom, which will transform that culture, is simply going to take people and tell them, believe in Jesus, but now go back into your sinful culture and still have customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements. Right. Apart from God's word. Yeah. And we're allowing that. Yes. And we certainly are allowing that in missions, and even worse, we're allowing it in our own country and yes. in our own churches. Yes. And that's why you get these these contradictory kind of statements like, I pulled this off of a website, it says the gospel transcends all cultures. That sounds really good, right? right We'd agree right. with that. That's, right. Hey, yeah, yes and amen. Yes. The essential truths of the gospel can be expressed in any language or clothed in any culture. There begins to be the issue. Mm-hmm. It is true. You can communicate the gospel in any language, but can you really clothe the gospel in any culture? Mm-hmm. Well, no, mm-hmm. because if you try to clothe the gospel in culture, then you've watered down the gospel. Mm-hmm. You've changed the gospel. Yes. Now you are just preaching the gospel of don't go to hell. Mm-hmm. What has to happen, and what this statement needs to say is that the essential truths of the gospel can be expressed in a language, and the culture will be clothed in that gospel. Right. Right? Yeah. That's real gospel now. Yes. That's gospel of the kingdom. That's transformational missions. You know, because then it leads to these types of bogus statements. The realization that we will always be, to some extent, culture-bound should lead to humility and interdependence in the global body of Christ. So we should have interdependence because we should recognize we're going we're gonna to culturally be bound. Right. We're bound to the culture. Well, it's true in one sense that cultural things that you and I grow up with are always going to be a part of, of who we are. Yes. Right? I mean... There's a lot of things I love that are so thoroughly American. Yes. And, oh, and I'm yeah. good with that. Absolutely. Right? Yes. But have I brought it under the submission of the gospel of the kingdom? Have I clothed that part of culture into the word of God? I mean, I love me some Subway cookies, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And I would argue that is a really American cultural chocolate chip cookie yes. thing, yes. right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Uh, to be a glutton about those things, to be uncontrolled about those things is not to bring it under the lordship of Christ and to right. keep in line what the scriptures say, right? right? So I can take a piece of culture that is seemingly innocent and I can actually use it against God and his gospel Yes. if I don't hold to the gospel of the kingdom. And so, yes. you know, that's why it's so essential that we understand that the transformation isn't coming because someone like John and Kristen are super committed to being there, you know, until they retire, right. and they give it a lot of energy, yes. and you know, they really sacrifice, and sometimes, you know, they even eat just awful things that we would never touch because they're there in the in the backwoods of the jungle. That's not why transformation's happening. It's happening because they're bringing an unadulterated gospel, yes. the gospel of the kingdom. They're bringing the whole counsel of the gospel, Mm -hmm. right? As opposed to just simply, here's Jesus so you don't go to hell. Right, yes. One of the things that I'm very big on in this podcast is the generational faithfulness and the long-term impact of the full counsel of God. I'm not very big on saying it's all about the gospel um, because to Christians, the gospel is just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm Mm -hmm. all about the full counsel of God. When Paul says, I did not withhold 
from you the full counsel of God, which means that he was applying all of Scripture to all area of life when he was among them and he was being a missionary among those people. He said, did not say, I did not withhold from you the gospel, the good news. The gospel is the true gospel, um, like you said, is a subset of the kingdom gospel, which the kingdom gospel being Genesis through Revelation. I'm absolutely huge in this podcast about generational long-term effect by the decisions that we make and how we apply the Bible into our lives. Praise the Lord for this couple out there and the strides they're taking for generational faithfulness so that they can become obsolete by the grace of the Lord, which I believe every missionary part of the mission is to become obsolete and let the boat sail by itself without me telling you how to steer it. And and, uh, I've read uh, some of Steve Saint's books and he talked about that getting these people to a place where they don't need him anymore, the dependency. And, and you know, the, the importance of addressing all areas of life with the full-orbed gospel, the, the full counsel of God, addressing these issues and the change, the dramatic change. The Lord blessed those wonderful people out in Cambodia for fighting, uh, for, for seeing the importance of the little details of the, the you know, didn't, uh, what does the Bible say? Do not despise the day of small things. This, the, the, that little detail, all you, you, the, these other missionaries that, you know, I, I don't know them, but how could you, how could you, you, you're supposed to be trained in the, in in the Bible. You're supposed to be a biblical expert. Any biblical expert from here to Timbuktu can tell you that something so small means so much. If you even know anything, the first thing about the council of Nicaea, how it came down to one single letter that they debated and how it changed from is Jesus like God or is Jesus God and how much that affected our society. And we're still experiencing the, uh, experiencing the benefits of that decision to this day. And the Lord, Lord bless Amen. that Cambodian society because they will be de- experiencing the benefits of that simple decision, what seems to be such a simple decision, but it's such a huge decision, it will impact generations for years to come because Jesus is not the God of the spirits of the air. He's not the God of the spirits of the earth. He is the source of all life. The Lord bless those Cambodian people and the bless those missionaries that are there fighting for what seems to be such a simple thing. Amen. Thanks for listening, my friends. Be strong and courageous. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Streetwise Theology, brought to you by the Mid-Atlantic Reformation Society and Reconstructionist Radio. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com and thinkandreform.org. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.